0: The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. This morning we welcome to our chapel uh, the Rev. Dr. Rod Mays, Uh, Dr. Mays, for the last 13 years, has been the national coordinator for RUF, known as Reformed University Fellowship, the university campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. Prior to this position as national coordinator, he spent nine years as senior pastor of Woodruff Road PCA in Greenville, South Carolina. Dr. Mays also serves as an adjunct professor of of practical theology at RTS. And if I am last count, we have four Uh, RUFs here in California and so we're hopeful that there will be more maybe from within these uh this room so Dr. Mays welcome. Thanks Julius it's uh good to be here I would invite your attention to uh Luke chapter 16 and uh let me just say a word about uh RUF the campus ministry of the PCA uh 145 campuses, basically the, the second largest thing the PCA does outside of Mission of the World. And uh, hopefully 10 new campuses next year, USC, uh, Colorado, some really exciting places that, uh, that we're going. We're doing some church planning as well, sending two guys, one guy to plant the church, one guy to start RUF. Did two of those this past year in Indiana, University of Indiana, or Indiana University and uh, uh, Vermont. And uh, so those are these are some exciting times with um, with RUF. And I'll be around this afternoon, and uh, I know I've got some appointments with some of you and uh, others I would be happy to meet with. I'll just kind of hang out out here somewhere uh, in this beautiful weather uh, and uh, be happy to chat some. One other thing I will add, because I see women here in our midst, uh, RUF has done a lot with women. As far as staff, it's it's for women that are in seminary and, and do a seminary degree. Uh, there are positions with us to, to be staff to work with women students on campuses. A great asset to our campus ministers. So I'd uh, be happy to talk about that uh, as well. For a few minutes, I want us to look at this uh, familiar parable story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter sixteen, beginning at verse uh, nineteen. And the take on this that, that I, I want to leave with you uh, really has to do with our confidence in the Bible, and uh, uh, the fact that we we believe the Bible, we preach the Bible, and uh, a number of things this text deals with, but I think that's one of the things you walk away from is uh, do we believe how god has disclosed himself in with moses and the prophets uh it was a couple of years ago i think i was uh, at the gospel coalition and my wife and i were were leaving and if you any of you have ever been to the gospel coalition or together for the gospel you know it's a great place for seminary students to go because they give you all these books uh, and so you get all these free books and um and they were giving away Bibles as well. So we get in a cab to fly back. And um we're talking to the cab driver and we're about ten minutes into the conversation on the way to the airport, and he reaches across the back seat with a Bible. It's all wrapped up and and he said, Would you like a Bible? And I said, No, thanks. I, I said, I, I have one. I didn't tell him where we'd been or that we were going to this had been to this conference. And uh, I said, no, that's, that's fine. You keep it. I have one. He said, well, I don't want it. And uh, I said, I'll keep it. I said, it's a, it's a good good book to read. And he said, well, I'm not interested in it. And we talked a little bit longer, and he said, here, take this. I said, really, I, I, I have plenty of Bibles. Didn't tell him what I did or anything, you know. And uh, he said, well, uh, I just got it this morning as a tip. And so immediately I knew, you know, this was somebody that gotten the Bible at the gospel coalition and gave the cab driver a Bible for a tip. Uh, and I said, well, I hope he gave you something else. And he said, no, just got this Bible. And I said, well, I'm really sorry. So I gave him a little extra tip. Now that's not the way to use the Bible. <laughs> All right. And, um, that was not loving. That was not engaging. Uh, that was just wrong okay but how do we have confidence in the scripture there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day and at his gate was laid a poor man named lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things but now he is comforted here and you're in anguish and besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us and he said then I beg you father to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, very sufficient word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand uh, your word. Give us confidence in the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know the story well. Uh, This rich man, clothed in purple, so many things here in the text that just tell us that you you can get the picture of a... Nice home with a wall and a and a gate, and he has dogs and there's this poor man, interesting. the poor man has a name. the rich man doesn't uh, I don't know why all you can read into that, maybe just his identity was in his wealth and his stuff and not thinking of others, and particularly did not take note of this poor man who kind of lived outside the gate and would be happy to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs who came and licked the poor man's sores actually showed more compassion. The dogs showed more compassion than the rich man. Well, the poor man dies and he's carried to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side and 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 you kind of get the picture of of um, here's the patriarch uh and uh here is this poor man at his side and 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 you get the idea that this is sitting at his side at his bosom like people in this time would would eat and and fellowship and one would lay his head on the the bosom of the other uh, John and Jesus we we know about and in that culture, in that time, nobody thought about that. That was great fellowship, great companionship. And, and so here this man who has lived very poorly now is at the side, at the bosom of uh, the patriarch of the faith. Well, the rich man dies, and he's in Hades, and he's in torment, and uh, he lifts up his eyes, and he, he recognizes Abraham and Lazarus at his side. And it's, it's, it's really interesting here. He, uh, he, he actually calls out, uh, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. And here's like, okay, this is, the, this is the slave, this is the servant. You, Abraham, Father Abraham, you send this poor man. Maybe he doesn't even recognize him or know that he was the one that was outside his gate. And it's funny how we don't take note of people, how we don't really love people and take note of people, and people that are especially not like we are. And so he continues kind of in his master-servant role and send him uh, and uh, to, to dip water on my tongue because I'm in, I'm in torment. And um, Abraham says, child... Remember that in your lifetime you received many good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted and you are in anguish, which is sort of the the antithetical aspect of what we preach and believe, that there is, you know, we're not made for this world. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And uh, those of us who know Christ long for the new heavens and the new earth and there will be those who are not repentant, not contrite, who will be tormented forever. And that's, that's a clear message from the scripture. That's a, that's a very clear message you must, you must preach because those lines are so vague and not, not clear as they used to be in our culture and, and even, even in our preaching. And so he tells him he can't do that. And then he comes a second time. I think there's three conversations here. And he says, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And so like, send him again. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Everything that you need to not be tormented, that your brothers need not to be tormented, has been disclosed, has been revealed in Scripture. Everything you need. And so the third time he comes back and he corrects him, actually, no, 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 Father Abraham said, you know, if, if you would somebody back, send someone back from the dead, then they would believe. Well, no, they won't because there's actually two resurrection stories. I mean, there's another Lazarus who was raised, and then Jesus, who is going to be resurrected. Does that make a difference? I mean, does that really always work? Does that guarantee that people will repent? He says, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to him from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. And hell is just going to be full of people who continue to argue and debate to defend themselves, who still consider themselves to be number one, who continue to pursue their idols to defend themselves and to reject God's revelation in God's disclosure of himself. And this rich man is um, just a picture of, uh, of the blindness of a damned man. Uh, how sin just creates a blind spot. And Three things I, I just want to mention from this text by way of application. Because I know that many of you sitting here have this 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 strong calling, that's why you're here, to preach the gospel. You believe the Bible, and you want to preach the gospel. And as you begin to think through a philosophy of ministry, there will be times when all of us are tempted not to stick to the main thing, because there's so many attractive callings out there, noise out there and um, people saying if you would just do this you'll have a big crowd and and one of the things i want to say you, to you is is stop craving the sensational it's like it's not good enough to read moses and the prophets if you'll send somebody back that that's actually was dead now been raised from the dead they will believe in other words if you get this speaker if you have this event if you have this personality if if you have if you have this band if if you do things this way then it's it's going to work and there's something very beautiful even about our confession that talks about the ordinary means of grace, just the ordinary means of grace, word, sacrament, discipline, prayer and how God has designed this to, to, to actually to actually capture the human heart. You know, as John says in chapter 5, you search the scriptures and then you think you have eternal life. It is they, though, that bear witness about me. That it's, it's about Jesus. It's not the sensational. A few, you know, was a couple years ago, I meet with national leaders of campus ministers and you know with crusade and intervarsity and uh, fellowship of christian athletes and navigators and there's about 10 of us and occasionally we invite main mainline denominations PCUSA, the wesley foundation um, some of these groups to meet with us and um, after one of our meetings the guy that actually does my job in the PCUSA usa said hey could we go grab coffee and I said, well, sure. And so we sit down, we start to talk. And, and he says, I just need to ask you. He said, um, I was on Vanderbilt's campus here a couple weeks ago. And he said, uh, our campus minister was taking me around. And, and we walked by this one building. And, and I said, well, and we walked up by this room. And he said, there had to be 400, 450 people in this room. And I said, well, who is that? And she said, well, it's, it's the PCA's campus ministry and he said i just need to ask you how do you get 400 students to come out at eight o'clock at night that many people to come to a meeting on vanderbilt's campus and i just looked at him as just as honest as i could look at him and i said well we preach the bible and he looked at me this is no joke he looked at me he said well, what a novel idea. <laughs> and then he's, he went on to talk about, oh, he wanted to talk about, he said, I'm probably more progressive than you. And we, we talked about all kinds of things. But uh, it was actually, we talked about justification by faith for quite a bit. But um, Here's the thing. It's just, there's something about preaching and your confidence in the Bible and what the Bible has revealed and disclosed to us, that you stand before 400 college students and you're up there preaching the word and, and, and preaching the Bible and students are listening. And I could tell you, I could, we could spend all day here and I could tell you story after story after story of lives that have been changed just by sitting under the preaching of the word. Just don't crave the sensational. Second thing I take from this text is be committed to the supernatural. That we're not what we do is not limited by natural or physical law. You are going to labor and serve and preach and love people in one of the most hostile, hostile environments in this culture. You will constantly, constantly be subject to ridicule, to disbelief. You will be dismissed as being totally irrelevant. And you know, when we believe the supernatural, when we believe that God, and, and here you sit this morning, you know, it's not, it's not really natural that you be sitting here. I don't know you. But God has done something in your life. He took out your heart of stone He gave you a heart of flesh. He changed you. He called you to himself. He has redeemed you. And you're sitting in seminary. And you were blind as a bat. You were in your sin. Some of you could tell stories about your life. And the sovereign God of the universe pursued you and reconciled you to himself based upon the merits of his son. And you're sitting here. Well, there's really nothing natural about that. And that you're pursuing ministry. And you're not going to make a whole lot of money. And your parents or your grandparents want you to work in Wall Street. Or be in some law firm. Or be operating on people with the latest procedure. But you're pursuing the ministry. And you know there's nothing natural about that. But God... Has captured your heart, and so I want to encourage you to be so committed to the supernatural that you're not going to be embarrassed by the Bible. And I think in ministry sometimes, man, we read the scripture and we say, "Oh my goodness, I can't say that. <laughs> I can't. I can't preach that." I, don't be embarrassed by the Bible. There's something amazing, whether it's a one on one, a small group Bible study, preaching from a pulpit, there's something amazing as you open the scripture and as you read the scripture. Paul Tripp talks about, you know, a counselee one time where he just sat down and for 50 minutes all he did was read the Bible to the guy. Just, okay, you have anything to say? You have any questions? He starts reading the Bible <laughs> for 50 minutes. It, I mean, that's the kind of confidence that I, I want you to have in Scripture. That we believe the Bible and our conversations are about the Bible. We, we, point people, we point people to the Scriptures because we believe that Moses and the prophets are sufficient. So we're not craving the sensational. We're committed to the supernatural. And the third thing I want to remind you of is that we're, we're sustained by gospel sufficiency. There's that, that beautiful passage in Second Peter, chapter 1. And for we did, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. Even more than the transfiguration, we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lampstand shining in a dark place we have something more that we are sustained by this gospel sufficiency there are just lots of hurting broken lonely people people who have great fear and great anxiety and great worry there are more college students coming to campus today medicated than any other time in the history of of people going to college the Bible becomes that pathway and that light out of trouble because the Bible points people to Jesus. This is a book, not so much about you, this is a book about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, this is about Jesus and his redemptive work. And the Bible is pointing, it's, a, it's that pathway out of trouble. And isn't it true that in the midst of fear, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of trouble, isn't it true that we want the presence of another person. If I have to go through this, I'd love to have somebody go through it with me. If I have to do this, I'd love somebody to do this. I'd love somebody to walk through this with me. And, and that's, the, that's the beauty of ministry. And, and you have the words of Moses and the prophets that are, that are so so sufficient for your preaching, for your teaching, for your counseling, how you engage people, how you deal with the culture, it's this gospel sufficiency that's grounded in the work of Christ. I mean, if we would talk more about double imputation, if people would just understand more about double imputation, that Jesus has taken all of our sin upon himself and given us his righteousness, imputed to us his, his righteousness. Would that not help us love people more? Let me say something about this. You've got to love people, men and women. If you're in ministry and you love your books more than you love people, you don't need to do this. You need to go do something else if you don't love people. Because this is all about loving people. And there are so many people to love, so many people whose lives have just, like this rich man, who have just been torn apart by wealth, materialism, addictions, brokenness pornography I mean we could just name it all and you were there to pick up the pieces as a minister of the gospel you got to love the church with all of her warts with all of her blemishes the beautiful thing about ministry is pe- seeing people in that community pointing people to that community of believers and we read through the Bible and we see most people's lives are changed in the context of the church. Not outside of the church, but in the context of the church and ministry. You love people, you got to love the church, you've got to love the world. Not in the sense that the world totally captures you, but we are for the world and against the world. And that's the tension. We're against it so we can be for it. We want to engage and not just enrage those around us and our culture for the sake of the gospel. See, here are are two men that sort of give the picture of what we're always going to be preaching. We're not made for this world. There's more. Where will people spend eternity and how, how does God use me and help me to convince them and it's not just novel ideas it's not just the sensational it's not just the event or the right speaker but it's Moses and the prophets don't be embarrassed by the Bible Preach it with all of your energy, with with all of your heart. God uses it. God is at work. God is at work as his word is proclaimed. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to be prepared to preach and teach. These men and women sit in classes and they study Greek and Hebrew and systematics and church history and counseling Practical theology, they they labor, they have to write papers. Some of these folks here are struggling financially, struggling with homes, families, uh, marriages. And you've called them. And even, even this day, I, I would pray that they would have such a love for the scriptures and would see the great privilege we all have to engage people and to love people for the sake of the gospel. Help us to do that more and more. That single mother who's working behind the counter at McDonald's, she doesn't want to be there. She has a story. The Wall Street banker has a story. The wealthy guy with the yacht has a story. And help us to engage folks. Help us to explain to them a passage like the rich man and Lazarus. And may the scriptures grab their hearts. May you grab their hearts and transform them by the gospel. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.